Pegasus Jazz. It is Tuesday, April 27th, and we are reporting live from Pegasus HQ in Middleburg, Virginia. For our first story, we are heading to Kentucky. The Land Rover Kentucky three-day event just took place, and we thought this would be a great opportunity to take a look at it a little differently. Yeah, today we are going to break down the economics behind the event, the impact it has on its local economy, and how things are different this year with COVID. For our second story, we stop talking money and we start talking controversy. Last Thursday, the FBI delivered its ruling on the Andrew Kosher controversy. So we take a look back at what he did, how the drama unfolded, and what this means for his future in the sport. Hint, hint, team. It's not good. For our third and final story, we are going a big, big picture and looking at the American equine job market. The American Horse Council recently announced its 2022 U.S. Equine Economic Impact Study. So we thought this would be a great opportunity to look at the key findings from its 2017 report. Yeah, it turns out us in the equine industry aren't doing as bad financially as we thought we were. On that uplifting note, let's hit our three stories. story, the best weekend all year, also known as the Land Rover Kentucky three-day event, has come and gone. There's a lot to unpack here, but we will start off by quoting William Coleman, who said it was the hardest Kentucky he has ever ridden. And we believe him. Here are some quick stats from Cross Country. Of the 61 horses who left the start box, 45 pairs made it to the finish line, and only four of those made time. There were 13 falls, two technical eliminations, a retirement, and a variety of runouts and stops throughout the course. Very kind of Tim Price to give Boyd Martin that massage after Boyd fell. Yeah, Boyd, we all saw the ice bath pick. We were all amazed that the event was able to happen in the first place. If you recall, Kentucky was canceled and then miraculously brought back on after the community rallied together to crowdsource those funds. We also know the event looked a little different this year as spectators weren't allowed to attend under USEF COVID-19 restrictions. As fans, we were super bummed about not being able to whip out the raincoats and trudge through the Kentucky mud on cross-country day. Is it even a Kentucky three-day if it doesn't rain? No, no, it's not. But what we might not realize is not only does it have a huge impact on fans' inspiration, but it also has a big impact on the economy. Not allowing spectators is what prompted the need for crowdfunding to save the event this year in the first place. In 2018, over 80,000 spectators representing all 50 states and dozens of countries headed to the Bluegrass State for the Kentucky three-day. Of those 80,000, more than a third were recurring visitors who had gone to the event at least six times before. Talk about a loyal fan base. A recent study conducted by the University of Kentucky showed the annual economic impact of a Kentucky three-day was estimated at over $14 million. We've all seen it. All the hotels are booked. You're sitting there calling your trainer's best friend's cousin to see if they have a spare bed at the Hampton Inn. You spend the evenings tasting bourbon and learning about the racehorse industry. It might be the best weekend you have all year, but it's also by far the best weekend they have all year for the community. So as you can imagine, last year's cancellation was a huge economic blow. And this year was also tough with the absence of those 80,000 spenders in Lexington. Okay, so going back to the economics of this event, since spectators weren't allowed this year and before the funds were secured from the community, people were wondering why the organizer of the event, Equestrian Events Inc., didn't go to other sources like sponsors or associations. Turns out they did approach the U.S. Equestrian Team Foundation to see if they could get a grant from them, but they were unsuccessful due to some specifics with the grant deadlines. They also approached members of the USCF, but not the organization directly. There was also some confusion as to why the sponsors, aka these multi-million and multi-billion dollar companies, weren't approached. I mean, there are luxury car and watch brands written all over the fences after all. 
Equestrian Events, Inc. said it's tricky dealing with those corporations whose budgets are tied to performance and a return on their investment. So when there's a fewer attendance, that means fewer sales, so they can't really provide that same type of funds that they normally would. Plus, being global companies, they too were experiencing their own supply chain issues related to COVID. And so they didn't have the same flexibility they usually did. They could have backed out entirely, but instead jumped in and were super supportive and they're part of the reason the event was able to go on. So back to the grassroots funding. Sarah and Brian Murphy were the ones who approached the EEI and asked if they could spearhead the fundraising. They literally called EEI and were like, Okay, what's the bill? Just a cool $1.5 million was the answer, but the organizers figured they might be able to make it work for half that, say around 750K. So last weekend's event cost $750,000. Technically more than that. And a lot of people were shocked at the price tag. So we jumped in to see what are the costs that make the numbers so huge. Equestrian Events said that in a normal year, it actually cost them about $4 million to run the event. And that's with spectators and all the things. But without the spectators, that number is closer to one and a half million since they don't need quite the same space and bandwidth. They usually pay 200K in rent to the horse park alone. On the course itself, they'll easily spend $250,000 when you consider the cost of the footing, building the jumps, installing the jumps, putting in the rope for the galloping lanes, etc. Not to mention all the other fees involved, including course design, stabling, paying the officials, food and beverage, and of course, the prize money. Add on top of that, when you run an FBI event, there are all those things that you're required to have. Anything from closed circuit TV to having golf cart rentals available. So it adds up pretty quickly. And it's awesome to see how successfully the community rallied together to make the event go on. And back to the event. We're sure you, like us, live streamed with our breath held, especially on that challenging cross-country course. And congrats to Oliver Townen and Balmore Class on that epic win and Kiwi couple Tim and Janelle Price for your respective second and third place wins at the five star. Are we looking at a New Zealand O'Connor team? I think so. So what's our takeaway here, Jen? It was a grueling weekend, which began with snowfall and ended with many bumps and bruises for several riders. All that said, it was truly incredible to see the eventing community come together to put on the best weekend all year. Moreover, it's safe to say we have a newfound appreciation for the costs involved in putting on an event of this caliber and the major economic effect that it has. Lastly, Boyd, we hope your massage did not disappoint. For our second story, we are getting away from economics and looking at some juicy goss to come out of the FEI. The FEI announced last Thursday that US jumping champion Andrew Kosher has been suspended from the sport for 10 years due to his use of electric spurs in competition. We first became aware of Kosher and his illicit practices from YouTuber Rayleigh and Link, who made a video last year about the controversy and published it on her channel that has an audience of 270,000 people. For those that are new to the story, French website Grand Prix broke a story in October of last year that Andrew Kosher had been using these electric spurs on his horses to force them to his will in competition. The electric spurs he used are essentially a set of spurs that are connected to a battery that can send an electric shock into the spurs via a push button that he would then hold surreptitiously in his hands with the reins. Grand Prix became aware of this malicious tactic when a whistleblower who worked with Andrew leaked to them both what he was doing and provided video evidence of the device and how it worked. Yeah, the whistleblower apparently came forward to Grand Prix as they were incensed by Kosher's claims that he climbed to the highest ranks of the sport through sheer will, talent, and business savvy. They knew he was doing it through the use of this device and felt there was an injustice in the world, and so they leaked the story. When Grand Prix initially confronted Kosher about it last year, he immediately defended himself by hiding behind his career success, 
He even protested, I belong to three generations of horsemen. I'm a horse breeder and I have retired horses. As the controversy grew, Kosher transitioned his defense into attacking the accusers. He claimed that they were making this up to be able to bring litigation against him and suggested they might even have manipulated those photos. Grand Prix defended against these counter accusations, saying they had cross-referenced the whistleblower's video with photos provided by many reputable equine media agencies and they were certain no photo manipulation had taken place. So that's the backstory and why last week's announcement was such a big deal when the FEI, having run a full investigation, found Andrew Kosher guilty of exactly what he had been accused of and punishing him as a result. Following the investigation, the FEI formally opened disciplinary proceedings against Mr. Kosher in October of last year. We didn't realize this, but we are glad to learn that once the investigation commenced, the FEI provisionally suspended Kosher from competition on October 28th of last year, pending a hearing before the FEI tribunal in order to prevent him from both harming horses while they conducted the investigation, as well as prevent him from robbing other competitors of the chance to win events due to his torturous advantage. With the new ruling, Kosher will not be eligible to compete again until 2030. During this 10-year stretch, he is barred from participating in or even attending any competition or event that is authorized or organized by the FEI or any national federation. Guys, he can't even attend as a spectator. If an FEI event is going on, he literally is not allowed on the showground. This is essentially the Lance Armstrong scandal of the equestrian world. Just like Lance, Kosher is male and American. And just like Lance, Kosher has also been stripped of his competition performance for eight events. So he has one more on Lance there, who was only stripped of seven Tour de France titles. On top of that, Kosher has also been fined just short of $20,000 for his indiscretion. Now, it was great to hear that the decision received the unequivocal support of the United States Equestrian Federation. Shortly after the announcement, they commented, the US jumping team does not tolerate any form of cheating or horse abuse and fully stands behind the outcome of the FBI tribunal decision. Horses are our willing and trusted partners in sport and deserve our ultimate care and respect in the pursuit of excellence. It is our duty as athletes and leaders in the sport to put the welfare of the horse first while ensuring a fair and level playing field at all times. So how has Kosher responded to all of this? So far, nothing, or at least nothing that we could find. But he does have 21 days to appeal the decision to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, also known as CAS. Oh, and I'm sure he will. He makes a living out of his sport horse business and competitions. And if he can't attend shows, even as a spectator, then that business is going to be really hard to keep afloat. So what's the takeaway here, Sam? Last week, the FEI investigation into American show jumper Andrew Kosher found him guilty of illegal use of electric spurs in competition and they banned him from the sport in every way possible for the next 10 years and fined him $20,000. For our third and final story, we are looking at the American equine industry at large. We were a little late to the party on this one, but on March 25th, the American Horse Council announced they have commissioned a study on the economic impact of the US equine industry. Which is essentially a data-crunching census-style investigation to look at how many people our industry employs, how much money passes hands amongst us, and who we are. They asked the sort of questions such as, are the majority of Americans in the equine industry men or women? Are we 25 to 35 years of age or, say, 35 to 55 years of age? On average, do we make $50,000 a year or $150,000 a year? And who has more horses, Texas or Florida? You get the point. 
It gives us all the data we need to make the smart business decisions and allocate resources. In their own words, an economic impact study, or EIS, examines the effect an event or industry has on the economy and usually measures changes in business revenue, business profit, personal wages, and or jobs. So you should care about this because it's going to give you the data you need to understand how much money you should be being paid for your job or how much money your business should be making compared to other equine businesses in your same job category across America. Now, this is the 2022 report we're talking about, it won't be released for over another year. So we thought it was a good opportunity to take a look back at the 2017 report that this 2022 report will update because it's full of some really interesting stuff. First things first, let's focus on bragging rights here. As of 2017, America has 7.2 million horses. That is the largest number of horses in any one country by a long way. USA, USA. That 7.2 million horses makes up about 28% of the global horse population. Considering that we don't really use horses for hard farm work like the rest of the world, that means our love for animals and our love for sports are so strong that we outnumber the rest of the world despite not needing them to get things done. And if we want to take bragging rights to a more granular level, the three largest populations of horses in America are in Texas, California, and Florida. Can you guess which state comes on top, Sam? Uh, Florida? Nope, Texas. Damn it. And then California and then Florida. So you came first from the other end. I'll take it. Now that we have finished bragging, the next shocking number to come out of the report is $50 billion. That is the direct impact that we in the equine industry have on the US economy. To put that in perspective, guys and girls, that's larger than the cigarette industry, the railroad industry, the seafood industry, the furniture industry, and many more. All industries that Hollywood movies and documentaries blow up to be considered so large and powerful that governments can't touch them. That's how big we are. It's kind of scary. But now let's look at the number that is really important to us. Jobs. The equine industry in America directly employs 988,000 people and indirectly employs 1.7 million people. Of those 988,000 people, 34% of them earn less than 50,000 a year, 26% earn between 50 to 100,000 a year, and 40% earn over 100k. So in summary, the average person in our industry in America earns around $70,000. To put that in perspective, that's about the same as nurses in America who have a median wage of around 70 1000 and then government employees who earn an average of 70000 and manufacturing that earn a median salary of 72000 We in the horse industry often lament that we don't earn too much, that it's a labor of love and often earn less than we otherwise could if it wasn't for our hopeless love for the animals and the industry. But if we put that 70000 figure in perspective, maybe we aren't doing as bad as we think we are. Yeah, if we look at some other common industries, we're actually doing pretty good. Here are a list of all the industries in America that have a median wage lower than our industry. Real estate, construction, transportation. Education, healthcare, arts and entertainment. Retail, agriculture, hospitality, and the list goes on. Now, of course, these are mostly what we traditionally think of as blue-collar industries, jobs that essentially require either working with your hands or serving people directly. Exactly. We can't really sit here and compare ourselves to lawyers because our lives are just very different. While lawyers earn an average of 120000 a year in America, correct us if we're wrong, but the job just doesn't seem all too fun. I have a friend who works for one of the largest firms in America and earned $180,000 first year out of college. But for the first two years out of college, she literally sat in a small room with no windows with seven other lawyers and read documents and highlighted them. That's not made up. That was actually her life. She can keep her extra 110000 a year for that. She deserves it. Exactly. 
All of a sudden, a career that earns you $70,000 a year keeps you outside enjoying your passion and keeping your body flexible and rugged as you age. It starts to look pretty good. Especially when you learn about all those other industries that have the same desk-bound, soul-crushing jobs that earn equal or less than we do. So what's the takeaway for this story, Sam? In preparation for the release of the American Horse Council 2022 EIS, we looked at the 2017 report, and it turns out that the American equine industry not only contributes a major chunk of change to the US economy each year, but actually employs and pays us all a salary greater than a lot of the most common careers in America. We have two quick public service announcements this week, both from the USEA. Firstly, every year the USEA makes and sells merchandise for the Land Rover Kentucky three-day event, including sweaters, waterproof jackets, hats, etc. All of it's branded with the USEA logo. This year, though, due to COVID, they were unable to make it available to the public on site for obvious reasons. So instead, they are selling it online. So if you're the sort of person who buys a piece of merchandise for the event each year and was upset that you would miss a year and have a gap in your collection, then you're in luck. Head over to www.shopusea to review this year's collection. Our second PSA this week pertains to the USEA release last week of the 2023 Rule Change Proposal Schedule. The USEA debates changes to eventing rules two years in advance to ensure any changes can be properly debated, decided upon, written, and distributed before they affect us, the riders. So they just released last week the list of dates this year that the rule change meetings will occur. There's too many dates for us to rattle them off here now. But if you head over to USEA's website and search for 2023 rule change proposal schedule, you will find their press release and all the dates and locations listed. Right, that's it from Pegasus HQ this week. We hope you enjoyed these three stories and enjoyed the Land Rover Kentucky three-day event for all our inventors out there. A quick reminder that we grab these stories from the news page on the Pegasus platform each week. So if you want to learn more about these stories or just enjoy a variety of global equestrian news in one single easily scrollable place, head on over to www.thepegasus.app/news. Also, if you want to learn more about Pegasus and see how we built this podcast and company, follow us on Instagram at the Pegasus app and at the Pegasus app underscore BTS, which stands for behind the scenes. Lastly, if you want to be featured on this podcast, either just a shout out to share the love or you want to tell the world about the amazing work your business, charity or school is doing, head over to the Pegasus platform homepage and click on free marketing to get in touch. And before we go, we want to give a shout out to our newest Pegasus members. Welcome Amy Chrysler, a hunter jumper whose blog Just Add Leg can be read on the Pegasus blog. If you're looking to become a more effective rider and develop a better seat, check out Stephanie Mosley and her business. The Empowered Rider. She's based in Tallahassee, Florida and teaches rider biomechanics. We're excited to see more horse yoga on Pegasus. So our love goes out to Angela Nunez-Bowman, endurance rider and horse yoga instructor. And lastly, a shout out to our incredible Middleburg, Sabrina Sutton, who runs Mortgage Hall Estate and Stable. If you're bringing your horse to an overnight show in the Middleburg area and would like short-term boarding outside the showgrounds, message Sabrina on Pegasus. We highly recommend her beautiful farm. All right, that brings us to the end of the pod. We will catch you guys next week.